the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing, Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. Today we'll share some of the day's headlines. We'll also take a look at the lighter side of the news. And we'll share this week's Christian outlook. We'll hear from John and Kathy as they talk with sociologist and author Christian Smith about the critical role parents play in cultivating faith in the next generation. We'll hear from Kevin McCullough and retired uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer of the London Center for Policy Research. They'll talk about uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry disclosing secret information about Israel to Iran. And they've given me an opportunity to share a little bit of my story, and I get to host the Christian Outlook this week. All of that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. But first, we'll take a look at some of the day's Headlines. Senator Tim Scott has responded to the stunning assault that he received following the president's speech uh, earlier this week, saying that they're literally attacking the color of my skin. Well, U.S. Senator Scott uh, responded yesterday to what he called the left's stunning personal assault against him following his rebuttal of the president's address to Congress. Scott told Fox and Friends it was shocking to hear intolerance coming from those who say they want to end discrimination and that those attacking him were doubling down on the concept of liberal oppression. Intolerance so often comes from the left with words like Uncle Tim and the N-word being used against me, Tim, uh, Scott said. And uh, last night, what was trending on social media was Uncle Tim, and they doubled down on this concept of liberal oppression. It is stunning in 2021 that those who speak about ending discrimination want to end it by more discrimination, end quote. Well, the left has doubled down that they are going to not attack my policies, but they're literally attacking the color of my skin. Well, Scott said it was disappointing that the perpetrators of the trending words against him on social media want to live their lives how they want, but don't want the same thing for conservatives, instead opting for them to be confined to a corner and silenced. Their America and my America aren't the same. If, in fact, they think that discriminating is the fastest way to end discrimination. An interesting observation. Meanwhile, in other developments, Ted Cruz says minorities like Tim Scott, who don't sit down and shut up and obey, enrage the left. Senator Tim Scott predicted the coming backlash to to this liberal oppression uh, is coming. And uh, Chaffet said Senator Tim Scott put meat on the bones of Republican priorities. Joe Concha says media uh, goes apoplectic uh, on Tim Scott's response to the Biden address. Sean Hannity rips Democrats double standard attacking Senator Tim Scott with racist rhetoric. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani has spoken out. Uh, He joined Tucker Carlson tonight on Thursday for his first television interview since the FBI raided his New York City apartment. On Wednesday, authorities seized electronic devices from the former Trump attorney's home and office in connection with a probe of whether he illegally lobbied the Trump administration on behalf of the Ukrainian officials. Well, the agents uh, arrived about 6 a.m., 
uh, remained in Giuliani's apartment for nearly two hours, seizing several laptops, cell phones, the former New York City mayor said. I don't know why they have to do this, Giuliani said, recalling that the agents seemed somewhat apologetic. They were very, very professional and very gentlemanly. End quote. Well, federal authorities are investigating whether Giuliani violated the Foreign Agent Registration Act or FARA by failing to report his alleged activities on behalf of Ukraine to the Justice Department. Giuliani has denied any wrongdoing. In other de- developments, rather, Rudy Giuliani's son Andrew is closer to yes closer than ever to yes, on a run for New York governor after the FBI raid on his dad's flat. And Biden on Giuliani's raid says, I had no idea this was underway. Andrew McCarthy calls federal agents raiding Rudy Giuliani's New York City apartment an aggressive move. Meanwhile, Israel experienced a stampede at a religious festival that killed at least 44 Israeli medical officials said on Friday that a stampede broke out during the Jewish religious festival on Lag Ban Omer in the country's northern region, killing at least 44 and injuring at least 150. The incident, one of the deadliest civilian disasters in the nation's history, occurred at Mount Meron. The event attracted tens of thousands from the ultra-Orthodox community. Some estimates said that at least 100,000 people were at the location. The New York Times reported Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called the incident a terrible disaster. Eli Beer, director of the Hatsala Rescue Service said that he was horrified by how crowded the event was, saying the site was equipped to handle perhaps a quarter of the number who were there. And the latest from business, uh, President Biden's new spending plan could give workers up to $4,000 a month in paid leave. And pork plants are facing slower hog slaughter after a court ruling. And velvet ice cream has been recalled over listeria concerns. The CDC says that U.S. Uh, cruise, cruises rather can resume in mid-July, sending shares a bit higher. And GM plans to invest $1 billion in Mexico to build electric vehicles. Boeing's latest 737 MAX problem spurs the FAA to audit. 20 million fewer people have tuned in to President Biden's address before Congress than Trump's earlier addresses. He had nearly 27 million viewers. Trump's first speech drew 48 million. Byron York points out the TV ratings for Biden's speech were way down from the first speech by Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton uh, combined and consolidation prize or rather the consolation prize much bigger than the audience for the Oscars. Well, the left is fuming as Florida makes changes to its election laws. Democrats once again imply minorities are unable to follow voting laws, which I find as an African-American rather insulting. From the grossly biased and irresponsibly misleading New York Times, they write, breaking news, Florida passed a host of voting limits in one of America's most critical battlegrounds, adding to a national Republican push to reduce voting access. Again, the presumption being that minorities uh, can't produce identification. It's apparently just too difficult. Well, Chicago plans a VAX pass for cooperative residents to attend events. Uh, Dr. Allison Anvady, uh, Chicago's public health commissioner, stressed that the forthcoming pass is not a vaccine passport, nor is it an app that businesses check before patrons can enter. Instead, It will be more similar to city passes that give residents discounts, free admission to museums or let them skip lines to city attractions, she explained. But uh, it turns out that's not entirely true. Moments later, she explained, but 
uh, it turns out that the um, uh, the doctor admitted you'll have opportunities to attend music events that are open only to people who are vaccinated. So both can't be true. One is patently misleading. Well, the Washington Post is defending the president's version of Catholicism. I'm not sure what version of Catholicism he embraces, but calling those who take their Catholic faith seriously members of the loud right wing. So if you embrace the teaching of the church, you are now, according to the Washington Post, a part of the or a member of the loud right wing. Ryan Anderson suggests it would be more accurate to say a group of very Catholic U.S. bishops is colluding or rather colliding with a left-wing president who supports the legality of killing innocent children. Alexandria DeSantos, she says that Biden's Catholicism has very little to to do with whether he attends mass or uh, talks publicly about being Catholic, as any reporter familiar with Catholic teaching would know. What some leaders and countless Catholics take issue with is Biden's active support for unlimited elective abortions funded by U.S. taxpayers, a set of policies that blatantly contradicts the church's unequivocal condemnation of abortion as an intentional act that takes an innocent human life. From Charlie Kirk, he says that there's no such thing as a very Catholic person Uh, who fights as hard as Joe Biden does for abortion, no matter what the Washington Post says. And finally, Jenna Ellis says the Washington Post secularists defend Biden's secularism as very Catholic. The mayor of Columbus, Ohio, is requesting the federal probe into the police who shot a girl trying to murder another girl. The Democratic mayor, Andrew Ginter, he gave uh, into the demands of the family of uh, Makia Byron, or Bryant, rather, the girl seen in, on video trying to stab another girl as she was caught, uh, shot. Hillary and Condoleezza, in a rare moment of agreement, are voicing their concern with leaving Afghanistan. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. The next two segments of this hour, we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news. And in the second hour, we'll uh, share the Christian outlook. So stick around. There's a lot coming up. We're winding our way through some of the headline news for the day. And as I mentioned, Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice are voicing their concern about leaving Afghanistan in a rare moment of agreement. Well, the story notes that the position puts two former secretaries of state from the Obama and Bush administrations at odds with one of Biden's most significant foreign policy moves to date. Rice said that we're probably uh, going to um, have to go back from the Washington Times. It's uh, in attempting to resolve longstanding U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan. President Biden has managed regrettably to pick the worst possible course of action, one that is likely to result in needless American deaths. And Seattle, the police department there, is losing officers at a record pace as anti-police rhetoric drives away many good police officers. And, by the way, there are many good police officers. President Biden, Biden rather, is facing racial snag and his plan to ban menthol cigarettes. Now, are you struggling to find the connection? Well, the American Civil Liberties Union and other groups sent a letter to the president to the administration earlier this week, pushing back against a potential ban on menthol cigarettes. The group said that such a move would disproportionately impact people and communities of color, trigger criminal penalties and lead to negative interactions with law enforcement. 
So the the purpose behind limiting uh, menthol cigarettes is for the health of those who would smoke them. But I guess it's more important that um, people in communities of color have access to items that will uh, undermine their health. And the presumption is that will trigger criminal penalties and lead to negative interactions with law enforcement. The logic escapes me, but nonetheless, it's the American Civil Liberties Union. And we all know they have uh, people and communities of color, their best interest at heart. Uh-huh. Well, Antifa, uh, their threat against Portland Mayor um, Wheeler has gotten the FBI involved. The group also gave out the mayor's home address. Meanwhile, a man referred to as the Trump supporter for some uh, reason throughout the story, at ABC7, says he infiltrated Antifa and has been giving media recordings of the same. Well, in government and politics, CBS's 85% Biden speech approval poll quizzed just 169 Republicans out of 1,000 viewers. So it doesn't exactly reflect uh, viewers across the board in a nonpartisan way. Meanwhile, Mike Pence's publisher, Simon & Schuster, is continuing to refuse to cancel the memoir of the former vice president after staff protests. And the FDA is announcing a plan to ban menthol cigarettes, which, of course, uh, the president uh, has embraced and the ACLU said no black people, uh, Hispanic people, other people of color uh, will be disproportionately impacted by uh, forbidding access to menthol cigarettes, which will undermine their their health. Senate, uh, the Senate has confirmed former Bill Nelson as the head of NASA. And in national security, feds are investigating the direct energy attack near the White House in November. The Navy will fall far below the mandated 355 ships as China churns out war vessels. And China's nuclear buildup is faster than expected, the U.S. now believes. In the annals of social justice, the caliphate, a rioter fined, uh, has been fined $12 million for helping set fire to the Minneapolis police station during the mostly peaceful, in quotes, BLM riots, according to the Daily Wire. At least there's some accountability there. And in chilling video, Antifa, uh, Antifa rather doxes and threatens to kill Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler. Other notables, consumer fueled economy is pushing the GDP to annualized 6.4% first quarter gains. And the Department of Justice was going to arrest Derek Chauvin in court if the jury found him innocent. An Illinois judge has found firearm owner identification card, cards rather unconstitutional. Well, on this day in history, 1789, George Washington is inaugurated as the first president of the United States. 1798, the U.S. Department of the Navy is formed. 1803, Chancellor Robert Livingston and James Monroe signed the Louisiana Purchase Treaty in Paris at the cost of $15 million. On this day in history, 1900, the Hawaiian Organic Act is enacted by Congress, making Hawaii a U.S. territory. 1904, the ice cream cone makes its debut. I have to pause and think about that for a moment. Where would we be without the ice cream cone? 1939, the New York World's Fair opens. 1952, Mr. Potato Head is the first toy advertised on television. And on this day in history, 1989, the World Wide Web, or WWW, is first launched in the public domain by European Organization for Nuclear Research, or CERN, scientist Tim Berners-Lee. 
Well, a bill that combines this season's two leading gun control proposals to require guns be safely locked away and allow schools and other sensitive public buildings to ban guns passed the House Thursday after a two and a half hour debate. Supporters and opponents of Senate Bill 554 made lengthy, sometimes emotional arguments. In the end, the the measure was approved 34 to 24, with three Democrats joining all Republicans in voting no. Because the House amended the bill after it passed the Senate, it now returns to that chamber for another vote. The bill would require gun owners to secure their weapons when not in use, either by placing them in a locked container or by using a trigger lock. The measure would also require people whose guns are stolen to promptly report the theft to law enforcement. The bill would also allow schools, colleges, the state capitol and the Portland airport to ban weapons, even those carried by people with a concealed uh, handgun license. An earlier version of the bill would have potentially extended that policy to all government buildings. This bill aims to prevent future tragedy, not to curb our liberties. Representative Rachel Prusak a Westland Democrat said in response to Republicans' arguments, rather, that the measure would infringe upon their constitutional right to bear arms. But GOP lawmakers who spoke up, many from rural areas, said that they feared the law would make it harder for their constituents to defend themselves. I live in a district where law enforcement can't always arrive in a timely manner. Representative Dwayne Stark from Grants Pass says, so myself and my neighbors, so we are left in a situation to defend ourselves. Democrats countered that the secure storage provision of the bill was meant to keep weapons out of the reach of unauthorized users, such as children or burglars. Gun owners are able to keep their firearms loaded and at the ready as long as they are in control of it. Two of the three Democrats who voted no, Representative David uh, uh, Gomberg and Otis of Otis, rather, and Representative Paul Evans of Monmouth didn't speak during the debate. But Democrat Mark Meek of Oregon City blasted the measure. All Senate Bill 554 does is create criminals out of responsible gun owners, he said. Two Republicans were not present and were listed as excused, but gun rights groups that were hoping for a a large-scale walkout to deny majority Democrats a quorum were disappointed. House GOP leader Representative Christine Drazen of Canby addressed those groups during her floor speech near the conclusion of the debate, saying my caucus has stood here today to engage the hearts and minds of those who disagree with us in defense of not walking out. Some unscrupulous organizations have misled Oregonians into thinking that lobbying any Democrat is a waste of their time, that instead they should push the easy button and call on me to deny quorum. It was clear a reference to the Oregon Firearms Federation, which has uh, put intense pressure on lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, and those in the uh, uh, Senate and House, a tactic that's been employed in recent years in both chambers to simply walk away. South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem is pledging to protect Mount Rushmore amid calls to remove the statues during unrest. She's also suing the Biden administration for canceling Mount Rushmore Independence Day fireworks. Well, the South Dakota uh, governor sued the Biden administration today after it canceled the Independence Day event, um, uh, saying, uh, demanding rather that the court expeditiously issue a permit for the event to take place. Mount Rushmore is the very best place to celebrate America's birthday and all that makes our country special. The governor said after telling us they'd circle back, the Biden administration has not responded to our request to uphold the uh, memorandum agreement between the state of South Dakota and the National Park Service to host a safe and responsible national celebration and fireworks show. We'll keep you posted on the outcome of that back and forth 
for the 4th of July. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up next, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. And in our second hour, we'll share the Christian outlook. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I've invited James Blend to join me as we take the next couple of segments to look at the lighter side of the news. Welcome, James. Well, thank you, Georgine. It's good to be here on a Friday. I, I like the sound of that. I, I do understand, of course, you know, it, it becomes more emotionally part of me why why the young folks like to call this fry yay. Because, uh, yeah, you just want to say yay because the day's almost over. Yeah, well, it is that. Well, a couple of things I want to reiterate. I mentioned earlier as we were making our way through headline news, 1904, the ice cream cone made its debut. Can you imagine life without the ice cream cone? I mean, it's one thing to have a dish of ice cream if you're on the go, but a cone, there's just nothing like it. And of course, it has evolved into a variety of different types of cones. So I just want to take a moment and acknowledge and celebrate the debut of the ice cream cone. Also, it was in 1952 on this very day that Mr. Potato Head was first advertised on television. I always liked Mr. Potato Head and uh, kind of led the way with the, the commercials and the toys that we, we see today that you'd probably just as soon do away with, but <laughs> followed Mr. Potato Head. Just wanted to mention that. I, I just picture I, uh, just pictured in my mind the mental picture that came in when you talked about the ice cream cone and not having it wasn't immediately a bowl of ice cream. I'm sad to say it was me holding a scoop of ice cream in my hand and it melting <laughs> quicker than I could eat it. Uh, because, you know, quite well, frankly, you know, I'm about the quick fix here. So, you know, I mean, if I don't have a cone handy, I'm not letting that stop me. <laughs> well, you know, earlier today, I learned that the Bidens are planning on bringing a cat into the White House. And I was incredulous. Uh, the president says the cat is waiting in the wings. I don't know. I just don't see a cat in the White House. Uh, it's going to be the first to live in the White House since George W. Bush's family cat, India. I had no idea George W. Bush had a cat in the White House. But President Biden and First Lady Jill uh, Biden are providing an important White House pet update during an exclusive interview uh, earlier this week on Today. The couple said a new cat's going to soon be joining their German shepherds, Major and Champ, as four-legged members of the first family. Uh, when asked about the cat adoption, Jill Biden responded, she's waiting in the wings. The first feline will move into the White House on the heels of two biting incidents in March involving a major, the Biden's rescue dog at the presidential residence. Nobody was injured in either of those incidents, uh, though after the first one, Major and Champ returned to the Biden home in Delaware so Major could receive some additional training. Uh, so let me get this straight, Craig Quipped. Major Biden, uh, who's uh, clearly had some trouble adjusting to life in the White House, now is going to be forced to contend with the cat as well in the White House. Well, Jill Biden then said that the part of Major's training involves spending time in a shelter with cats, to prepare for their um, new companion. He did fine, apparently. President Biden also joked that he was going to bring Major to meet Craig, the host of today. Uh, the co-host hesitated. Well, I don't know what <laughs> that's the best idea based on what I've heard about Major. He said, uh, is he back at the White House? He's back, the First Lady answered, adding that the training has worked and Major is such a sweet, lovable dog. Now, I have to admit, I've heard that so often. Uh, when you walk into someone's home, they're a dog lover, the dog's been around for a while, or it's a rescue dog, or they're new and young and ambitious, or rambunctious is probably the better word. And the line that I'm most familiar with is, oh, he, she, referring to the pet, has never done that before. 
So when you say to me, oh, they're just a gentle, they're just a gentle pet, they're just um, anxious, they're happy to see you, and then they do something you've told me they don't do, and the line is, oh, he's never done that before, so I really don't believe anybody. I, I think you think it's true, but it never is actually true when I'm in the presence of an animal who can probably tell that I'm uh, I'm a bit frightened. So anyway, bringing a cat into the White House apparently isn't all that unusual. I, I looked it up, and presidents have had all kinds of animals uh, in the White House. Uh, in fact, this uh, report that I just took a look at, many animal lovers know and savor that happy moment when a pet dog or cat runs up to greet them. I'm not sure cats do that. At the end of the day, and the stresses of work and human interaction are melting away. The more stressful the day, the sweeter that evening reward. Few jobs are probably more stressful, they write, than that of President of the United States. So it's not surprising that a long line of commander-in-chief, commanders-in-chief, have had de-stressors-in-chief living alongside them. Dogs seem to be first in line to fill that role, but cats, birds, horses, a raccoon, and even a cow have found their places to bask in the White House sun. President Johnson caused a pretty huge controversy among animal lovers after he photographed picking dogs named him and her, um, the, the dogs named him and her, but the controversy was over picking them up by their ears. President Nixon, um, he had a Yorkshire Terrier, Pasha, uh, President and Mrs. Ford, um, let's see, they had Retriever Liberty, her litter of puppies were uh, born at the White House, President Herbert Walker Bush, uh, had the dog Millie. Lots of us were familiar with Millie. The six puppies uh, were also uh, born there. Uh, President H.W. Uh, Bush running across the um, the lawn with Millie and in a rainstorm heading for a helicopter is a pretty familiar uh, image. The Scottish Terrier of President uh, Fala was the name. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt gathered up by uh, uh, the president. Let's see. Uh, president Herbert Hoover uh, had that uh, Calvin Coolidge, Mrs. Calvin Coolidge had a pet raccoon. Uh, they had a huge menagerie that included several raccoons, a dozen dogs, canaries, lion cubs, a wallaby, a donkey, a bobcat, and a pygmy hippopotamus, among others. Um, President Taft had a pet cow. Uh, President uh, George W. Bush had a dog spot. Um, President Clinton, socks. Uh, nephew Tyler Clinton and dog Buddy, you might recall them. Bo and Sonny were the Obama family's uh, new puppies. Anyway, I guess it's not all that unusual. Uh, President Washington had dogs, horses, and a parrot. Thomas Jefferson had a mockingbird, bear cubs, dogs, and a horse. John Quincy Adams had an alligator. Both President Taft and Harrison had a cow. Dogs, cats, goats, and a turkey uh, were part of their entourage when they lived in the uh, uh, in, in the White House. President Nixon had several dogs, but none as well remembered as checkers, a dog he made famous in his 1952 Checkers speech. Ponies, hamsters, birds, dogs, and other animals found room in the Kennedy White House, but probably the most notable of these was the offspring of a Soviet space dog given to JFK by Nikita Khrushchev. So I guess I was a bit premature in suggesting that the Bidens bringing a, a cat into the White House along with the two rescue dogs was somewhat peculiar. Your thoughts, Jimmy? Well, I mean, the first thing I thought of when you said it is just because of how famous the, the cat was, was socks. Yeah, uh, that's Clinton, true. The Clinton's cat was quite, and that was quite the thing that, uh, I don't know why, I think it's because it had been so long since there had been kind of a quote-unquote frontline cat at the White House. 
Uh, plus, you know, at that, at that time, anything Clinton was an interesting story. But um, the uh, the diversity of actu- admirals that have actually lived there is a little surprising. But uh, it does seem to have normalized out a bit, I guess, between dogs and cats. Uh, me, I, you know, if I was in that particular house living, I feel like I'd be too nervous to have either there. <laughs> yeah, I would think so, too. Oh, well, they're certainly entitled to have whatever it is yep. they want. By the way, South Korea, there's a firm there that has created a, a smart dog collar rather that tells the owner what the dog's bark means. Uh, it's a startup. They've developed the all-powered or AI-powered uh, dog collar. It can detect five emotions in canines by uh, monitoring their barks using voice recognition technology. The Pet Pulse Collar uh, can tell pet owners through a smartphone application if their dogs are happy, relaxed, anxious, angry, or sad. It also tracks dogs' physical activity and rest. The device gives a dog a voice so that humans can understand, well, presumably. The company started gathering different types of barks to analyze dogs' emotions. Back in 2017, three years later, they've developed a proprietary uh, algorithm. It's based on a database of more than 10,000 samples from 50 breeds of dogs. So. Uh, when I come to your house, if you have one of these, you can say, well, the dog is hungry and you look like a great meal or um, simply put him in another room because, you know, it's not going to go well. So knowing what your dog bark actually means may be the next thing. There you go. We need to take a break. You're listening to The Georgie and Rice Show. We'll come back and take a look again at some of the lighter side of the news. And in the second hour of today's program, The Christian Outlook. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news and in our next hour, The Christian Outlook. So stay with us. James Blend has also joined me on mic. Well, a Belgian chocolate company that put white masks on its Easter bunnies a year ago is now producing large chocolate syringes as it uh, tries to keep step with the evolving trend of the coronavirus pandemic. And as Belgium steps up its vaccination campaign against COVID-19, specialist confectioner uh, Coco Tree is also touting the, the uh, natural health benefits of chocolate as a kind of vaccine in its own right against certain conditions. It's a symbol of hope, and that's why I decided to create the Chocolate Vaccine says the company's founder. Well, Cocoa Tree, they're based in Lanzi, a village about 45 kilometers south of Brussels, has dubbed its chocolate syringes um, L-H, or some Belgian thing, a combination of the sound of a sneeze and an ancient chocolate uh, consumer, the Aztecs. Well, the chocolate vaccine has a huge number of positive effects, they say. It's an antidepressant. It has some magnesium. Chocolate has many advantages, as people know, and above all, it boosts the morale of the troops. So um, a masked bunny holding a chocolate syringe. Do you feel better, James? Oh, well, I mean, chocolate is, you know, very good. Don't get me wrong. I'm always very happy with chocolate, but... uh... I think the mental imagery and the visual and, yeah, all the things that go into that, I don't know that I could go there. I'm not yeah, a big not fan sure. of needles overall, so. <laughs> well, a 121-year-old chocolate bar from a batch commissioned by Queen Victoria for Britain troops fighting in South Africa has been found in its original tin in the attic of an English manor. 121 years. Well, the chocolate belonged to an English aristocrat 
who fought in the Second Boer War, Sir Henry Edward Paston Bedingfield, and was found in his helmet case at his family's ancestral home, 500-year-old Oxborough Hall in Norfolk, eastern England. And although you wouldn't want it as your Easter treat, it's still complete and a remarkable find, says the cultural heritage curator at the National Trust, um, Anna Forrest, a heritage charity that manages Oxborough Hall. Well, the tin lid has a message in Victoria's handwriting that says, I wish you a happy new year, and the inscription, South Africa 1900, as well as the portrait of the Queen. The National Trust said it believed Henry had kept the helmet and the chocolate together as mementos of his participation in the war. The items were discovered among the belongings of his daughter, Frances uh, Greethead, following her death, aged 100, in 2020. Well, the Second Boer War from or rather, 1899 to 1902 pitted British troops against the forces of two independent South African states run by the Boers, uh, Afrikaans-speaking farmers, where um, huge gold and diamond deposits had been found. Victoria commissioned 100,000 half-pound bars uh, to raise morale among the troops there. 121-year-old chocolate tin. That had to have been a pretty fascinating find, but I think uh, consuming the chocolate, not so much. I think I'd rather eat that than chocolate in the form of a needle, though. <laughs> You'd go for that. Why not? It's kind of like, you know, the um, you you remember how baseball cards used to come with a piece of gum in there? Uh, I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was usually basically rock hard to begin with, and uh, uh, a couple of years ago, um, probably about four or five years ago, somebody gave me an old pack of cards that was from the 80s, and I was so tempted to try that gum. And, <laughs> but, you know, this was like, at this point, 30-year-old gum, and I was very tempted, but I I, I didn't do it. But, yeah, you'd probably uh, break a tooth. If you're lucky. <laughs> or worse. Yes. Well, from age five, Filipino graphic artist uh, Percival Legu has had a passion for collecting toys from fast food restaurant chains like McDonald's, Burger King, and home country favorite Jollibee. Well, now, nearly five decades later, the 50-year-old has about 20,000 toys packed from floor to ceiling in his home and holds a Guinness World Record from 2014 when his collection reached more than 10,000 items. Whoa! The toy, yeah, the, the uh, toy is like a storyteller in itself, uh, he says, explaining his hobby while sitting among the eclectic mix of toys in his three-story home. For example, it gives me a glimpse of what particular period when I got it, the story of what's going on, what are the incidents uh, that are attached in the acquisition. Well, he lives in... Um, uh, Papanga, the province northwest of Manila, rather, built his home especially to house his collection. Now, people build homes for a variety of reasons. He built his to house his collection. He likens the excitement uh, that getting new toys gives him to Christmas morning. He's always played with the toys, but even as a child, took good care of them and put them on display, unlike the other kids who would tear up their toys um, into what he referred to as smithereens. And while most of the toys were obtained through personal purchases, some were donated by friends and family. I would invite my friends to have lunch at McDonald's, and in one sitting, I would be able to complete the whole set. One of the most uh, treasured pieces is the Hetty Spaghetti. It's a figurine, a mascot from the uh, Jabali. Again, this is in uh, the Philippines uh, chain that his mother gave him back in 1988. His dream now is to eventually put his collection on display for the public or even open a museum to give others a chance to revisit their own childhood memories. Did you collect those things at all? Uh, 
A little bit, but I mean, you know, I got them when I got them, but there was very few that I necessarily set out to collect. Um, you know, you just kind of get what you get. Yeah, I I think that was before my day. I don't think you got toys in fast food, and of course, we didn't really the, 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 eat the a one, lot of fast food either. The thing I really remember, I mean, because you know, you had the the various Happy Meals and all those type of things that those came up with. I'd have to look to see when they came out, but uh, the I, I remember more as a child there being like movie tie-in items, like you know, co- come to the uh, you know, buy X amount of food and you get a free Star Wars glass kind of thing. Uh huh. Um, and I still have some of those Star Wars glasses, but toys, uh, that's that's more my daughter's thing. She loves yeah. the toys. Yeah, and they they're not that sturdy, although oh they no, do, they do put some effort into making them, you know, kind of relevant and. Oh, they attractive. definitely are. They they've they've clearly struggled during the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, because you know not a lot of movies to tie into, but um, there have been a lot of repeats. It's like, oh, this movie came out three years ago. How did you get this toy? Uh, but uh, <laughs> other than that, it's uh, you know it's they've really kind of kept it cutting edge, and it's whatever the hot movie is for kids right now usually is going to be what you find, and that's, that's what you know, they've got. That's yeah. what they got. Well, the family said they came home from a dinner one night last week and walked into a scene that looked like it was taken out of the Alfred Hitchcock's horror movie, The Birds. Says Patrick Belleville, we walked right into a nightmare. The birds were uh, stuck to the ceiling, stuck to every wall. They were hanging onto pictures. Well, Belleville said a friend called Animal Control. The agency uh, told them to open all the windows and doors, but the birds pretty much stayed put. Every room, bathrooms, bedrooms, they were all full of birds. Uh, they were just going crazy. They were hitting me in the head. They were flying about. Well, the rest of the family stayed in a hotel for the night while the man of the house removed more than 800 birds from his home by hand. I stopped counting after 800, he said. I was just grabbing them and throwing them into a box, taking them outside, shaking them out of the box, and letting them go. Well, he worked through the night, and a mess of droppings, one would imagine, uh, were there to save his home from the birds. For two more days, some of the hidden birds continued to terrorize the family. There were random birds flying out of closets and uh, and other little nooks and crannies. A Belleville um, steamed the uh, steam cleaned all of his sofas and floors. He had to throw away a lot of his belongings that could not be saved from the mess. On Sunday, a similar scene happened in Mont- uh, Monticello, where the local fire department said about a thousand birds invaded the home. Animal Control said the cause of both cases might be chimney swifts. Uh, there were no uh, screens on the chimneys, which appears to be how the birds entered the home, which was my first question. How did they get in? Uh, but, uh, you know, a thousand birds here, 800 birds there. I certainly would not want to have that kind of uh, infestation, but apparently it happens. Yeah, interesting. By the way, I did check the Happy Meal, of course, which contains many toys, um, was uh, started in June of 1979. So I would have been all of four years old. Uh, so almost uh, right in the middle of the prime of uh, when I should have been collecting massive amounts of toys. But uh, it would be another 10 years before we got a McDonald's in my town. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually a famous McDonald's. You can look it up, Georgine. It's called the McMansion. Uh, basically, McDonald's bought this old mansion. We we're going to tear it down, build a McDonald's. And the community said no and made it a landmark. So they had to build a McDonald's in this 1700s mansion uh, and it's 
rather fascinating. Oh, I bet that is. That's in New York. Yep. Well, we are out of time. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And then in the second hour, we're going to share the Christian Outlook. I had the opportunity this week to host, so I hope you enjoy it. We'll hear from John and Kathy um, about um, cultivating faith in young people. We'll also hear from Kevin McCullough and his guest, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, on John Kerry disclosing a secret Israeli operation information to, with the Iranians and a little bit of my story as well. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.